to me, the word someday is the affirmation of eternal hope. It is the word we use so that we don't let our dreams die. I think so long as someday exists, there is never a never, right? Hello, everybody. Welcome to episode nine. Wow, we're really getting up there. Also getting close to the conclusion of talking about someday. Only a few episodes left. Thank you for everybody who's been listening since day one. To everybody else, go back and listen to an episode you might have missed. This week, I speak with the one and only Amy Douglas. We talk about recording yourself, aspiring to be Carol King, what Donald Fagan might think of the song we made, and we get into the backbone and the story behind Party Line, the song we wrote together for Someday. She is super insightful and has a lot of amazing things to say and really butters me up. So uh, this is a good one. Hope you enjoy. Who are you? Introduce yourself to people who maybe don't know you. What's your name first? Well, my name is Amy Douglas. Um, Amy Beth Douglas, if you're nasty. And I am from Queens, New York. I am a vocalist, a knucklehead, a joker, a smoker, a midnight toker. I am Kid Charlemagne. <laughs> I am. Shout to all the Steely Dan fans Steely out Dan there. Steely Dan fans. I live in Brooklyn, New York, and I am goddamn honored to be here today. It took a super long time for us to actually meet. The whole time we were working on this, the actual song, we had not met each other. If we were to get almost anybody that I worked with, the exception of Juan McLean, from almost somewhere as far back as the last like five to seven years, that would be the very first thing everybody would say, is that I've been working with you for so long, and I didn't meet you in the flesh until very recently. Um, I moved back home to New York City, where I'm from, about a year ago. And it's only now that I'm really able to be like with everybody that I work with. And of course, that includes you. And of course, finally getting to meet you has been such a delight. It's been such, I mean, I, f- I feel like you've, you've been in my family my whole life. <laughs> Likewise. Um, so you must, in order to work remotely with people, have some kind of background in recording yourself and doing that. Where did that come from? Like, because a lot of people, you know, it might not even be an option to work remotely because they don't do it themselves. Sure. Or they don't have access or room or sometimes right. an environment in which you can even put like the most basic recording devices. I mean, I, I remember I lived in Manhattan and I lived in a shoebox. I mean, if I tried to even put like the most basic recording gear in there, I'd have been thrown out of my ass the minute I started like whiling away or, or the likes. A little bit of background. I think where I might be the really odd duck in our community of people who are making experimental dance or any form of dance music, funky music, urban music. I come from jazz and I come from rock. I don't remember how I got in singing on dance records specifically, except that I was fronting a lot of hard rock bands and I was singing in jazz combos. And I was reaching a place where I think it was time to branch out and make a change. And people had been telling me for so long, you've got this really big voice, you know, you should really, and it's got a lot of soul and you can do a lot of different types of singing. You know, you, uh, when you sing jazz, you don't sound the way you do when you sing rock. And, you know, that could really work for your advantage singing on dance records. And, you know, to, to be fair, like, there was really a legit time in my life where I did not want to know. I, I really was like, uh, I don't know about that, you know. 
Like I dig some house music. I dig your early house music. When it really took you on a journey. And I, I obviously love classic disco. And then it, it gets a little gray for me. I remember like singing on a dubstep track very early when I started doing this and not knowing what the hell dubstep was. So, you know, this has been like a rickety thing, but I always had my own recording studio at my avail once I left Manhattan um, and went through eight years in Boston, which was both, it was sort of like, you know, almost Dante-like. It was sort of in the inferno. It, it was definitely removing me from the environment I was most comfortable in life-wise, but throwing me into this place where I, I really wasn't comfortable life-wise, but I was like, but I have now space. So I'm going to shove a studio in my space and I'm going to keep my head down and I'm going to see what I can make of this world. And now about eight years later, we're sitting together. Yay. And we're talking about your awesome record. Thank you. Um, thank you for calling it awesome. It is always oh, um, awesome. <laughs> it is so awesome. It's so good. Hopefully you've all heard it. So I guess I'll just plug real quick that if you haven't heard it, go check it out on the streaming device of your choosing. In terms of like the recording, like actual technical recording process. Okay. Was that a DIY learning curve situation sure. where you oh, just God. like... And I'm such a knucklehead, I barely still know it you now. You basically like went into it being like, I have no idea what to do, so I'm just going to figure it out. Absolutely. I'm still learning. I mean, I am not a techie person. I'm not a producer. I engineer my own sessions. Sometimes you have to force yourself to learn something because all of a sudden life pushes you to have to do it. When I first went and got my own rig, I am not fancy in terms of technical. I have nothing to talk about beyond I learned logic. I got some gear and my people said, don't blow it up. And when things go wrong, we will show you just enough basic seamanship so that we don't get calls from you crying because there were calls. Like, I'm a geeky, nerdy girl, and I write all my songs and have written all my songs this way since I was six. I sit at the piano, <laughs> and I write a song. And even when I'm working with other people, like even when I was working with you on, um, on the track on, on your album here, Just Learned How to Party, the first thing I do is I learn your song. Then I sit down at the piano, and I play your song. And then I write to that. And then I go in the booth and I cut to the track because I don't feel like I can serve any piece of music, even if it's like weird house music or some of the more out there techno tracks that people have sent me. I don't care. I'm going to find some figure in there and I have to organically bring it into my body and become the singer songwriter that sits at the piano and writes. Every single session I've done, whether I'm working on Peach Melba with Juan McClain, or with Michael the Lion, or your music, no, no matter who it is, I, I get sent a track, and the minute I commit to working on it, I go through the compositional process as an organic musician, because I don't really know any other way how to do it. Un un unless, unless, like my instructions are, Amy, just go in the booth and improvise. Don't write. Sometimes people will, will tell me that, you know, go in there, don't write. Just go in there and, and riff. Then you think like a jazz musician. It's like, all right, so improvise. It's interesting to hear you talk about the real, like, traditional compositional approach to songwriting because so many people nowadays don't do that. I know they don't. And, and, and by the way, I'm not saying that my method is in... I am not a purist. I am not one of those, you know, stick in the mud, you must do it this way, or it has no validity. That's horse shit. Pardon my pun. I mean, I think whatever method gets you to greatness is the method doesn't matter what the method is. Totally. 
the reason I was asking about recording yourself is just because it really opens up so many opportunities for people who are who are primarily singers. Mm-hmm. I mean, clearly you're a songwriter, but I don't want to have you be like the she's the girl who records herself. But <laughs> well, didn't all the other singers record themselves? No. Oh wait, okay. See, I was wondering why no. you were asking me this because I was just like. Because I'm like, this is no, the- this is the exception to the rule. Oh my God! Okay, I, I I didn't new context now. The thing that's interesting to me about this, so when I'm writing something, when I'm producing, I have to simultaneously be the engineer, scientist operating the machinery, and the creative person letting like my soul th- flow out through drums and keyboards and saxophones and whatever it's like the most literal right brain left brain split is trying to figure out how to not have either of those things step on the other so my perception of singing and doing is like the same thing it's like you have to figure out how you're going to press record or like how am I even going to do this am I going to like loop this one part and like sing it over and over again am I just going to do full takes am I going to without somebody to just like do that I love the studio I love it I love being in there for days and never leaving, and never bathing, and you know, I don't care about the funk. I don't care about. It. I just want it to be good. More funk. More, more funk. funk better. I mean, bring some funk to the funk. But I have the sole dedication is to the vision. No matter what I'm thrown into, the only reason I really got a little bit more technical, it was all mother of necessity. Hey, I heard your work with so and so. I want that. And then, hey, I heard your work with so and so. And I want that too. And it's like, well, fuck. You know, I mean, let's, I cannot afford a, an engineer. And I cannot afford also to constantly be stressing about how I'm going to do this. I would say that maybe the early part of my career was demarcated by horrible alliances I made with people solely because they had a studio. Even it was like always square peg round hole and I never really got the sound I wanted. So I was like, I'm never going to let that happen again. And I just sat down and I learned because I was just like, all right, you know, I'm going to have to do this myself. And how do you engineer a vocal session? Oh, it sucks. Especially considering that all you want is the freedom to like do a take. And if it's not perfect, you want somebody else to go, how about we just do that again? And you take a swig of water and you go, okay, let's do it again. Or as many times as you need. Even just a sounding board where it's like another person to let you know if that one was really good or that one wasn't good. Working remotely, I mean... You send in the work and then somebody sends you an email like 75 pages long on all the corrections you need to make because there is no one in the room with you. That kills momentum. Yeah, I mean, that's really tough because if you had been in the same place, then they might have made those comments while you were working through how you wanted to do it. And it's not like you, you've completely finished it and have to do it again. Right. Based on what they've said. I mean, I think that that like is actually kind of... <laughs> That makes me think about when you sent me back the vocals for party, what became Party Line, I was struck by how it already felt like a finished song. Ah. First and foremost, I thank you. But some of that is you. I will not lie. Especially when I was breaking into dance music, I think a lot of the time it wasn't working out so well and I almost got derailed and stopped because I want everything to be a hit song. I want it to be a pop hit song too. I'm not thinking, oh, a banger that'll live on a dance floor for a minute and be gone. I mean, I want a song to live on for a million years, long after I'm dead. And I was turning in work all the time where I was like literally taking every track somebody sent me and making it into a pop song. And then people would be like, no, it's too much. It's too much. But I always have to go with my instincts. 
unless I'm starting from scratch and I sit down on my piano and I do this every day, I, I write music every day. So there is writing music with somebody in a room. There's writing by yourself. And then there's writing with all of these varieties of producers like yourselves sending me tracks and you have to find a way to connect to all of these different languages. If there is anybody listening to this and you have ever heard my voice before, you know me as a powerful vocalist with a big range, but that's not how I see myself. I'm a singer-songwriter in my eyes. I'm Carol King. In well, oh please. I mean, I, all right. <laughs> like, let me back that shit up. Carol King. What I mean is to say I aspire to be like Carol King. Um, and of course, I fail as as we all will because there is only one Carol King, and she is the greatest, and she stands at the top of the mountain. But that is the goal, always. It, the, the goal always for me is I want to write a song that your 70-year-old grandma's going to like and your 13-year-old kid is too. You know, it, it's been done. We, we see this in history. I care about that. Now, I cannot speak for everybody else's process. I can't speak for everybody else. But when you sent me the track, the track told me immediately what had to be done with that song. I always make the mistake of giving people too much information, which can squash their creativity or also misuse the thing that they will bring out of it that I might not have thought of. So I think I didn't overexplain. I remember being like, I kind of see this song as being like, you double, just entendre. Learned, double entendre. I was like, I, th- I hear something like, I just learned how to party. I just learned how to party. It's kind of also a lightly veiled song about cocaine, a drug that I've never done. I think that it comes from me being like curious about all of this music that I really love from the 80s that is obviously so influenced by this incredibly popular drug. And I kind of like wanting to like understand like what that was about. I guess that that's like, if you want to go to the Nile Rodgers deep hitting meaning of the song, that's what's going on in the song. And sure. what, what I wanted to go on and ultimately what I feel like is succeeded to happen in the song, thanks to your lyrical songwriting. The first thing I want to do is defend something you said. When somebody asks you to collaborate with them and it's for them and it's their vision, my job as a musician is to be an open vessel. I don't want this to sound like The Last Samurai. I have a very deep honor to music. I don't care how much information somebody gives me. I'm just going to do whatever you need to get your vision to you. And until I get there, I'm not happy. You gave me a loose conceptual feel. And the first thing I remembered about um, how to respond to working on the song with you was based on my history as a fan of yours. Knowing that, A, you were a saxophonist. I love saxophone players. And then I heard the track and I was like, this is exactly what I expected Sammy to send me. Uh, It's funky. And the first thing that got me so excited was this wonderful harmonic motion of where the chorus went. And I was like, it's got to have that wonderful jazz delivery. It's got to have bounce. It's got to have loft. It's got to be capricious. But the subject matter, double entendre. I love double entendre. All of my favorite music was made by lyricists who work almost steadily off double entendre. And I remember talking to you about Steely Dan. And I was just like, oh, just learned how to party. I mean, so these have to be sardonic lyrics. The great thing about Steely Dan, lyrically, that I love about Fagan is that he is both a participant and a harsh critic of everything he's involved in. 
you know, he is very critical of his generation, but he's still the one at the party, you know, chasing younger girls and putting, you know, toot up his nose. So I'm thinking to myself, it's got to be like that. It's got to walk a very clever line. I think that clever is, is a good word. You know, with everything I do, I want it to be fun at heart. And this one, it's kind of like, I mean, it has like this after hours vibe to it. It has a swagger and almost like a danger to it. But but then when you start to kind of like realize what's going on, it is clever and it's fun. And it's sort of like it's not taking itself too seriously. That's one of the, the things I like about how it turns out. The first thing I want to say is that it already sounded like there was a sort of a harmonic backbone in place. Yeah, it wasn't a loop. It wasn't no, like, oh, right, I remember Jeebus. that because it was kind of like, oh and, and, man, yeah. my king. My, <laughs> You're like another loop. Oh, I can't no, deal no, with no, another no. loop. No, you, oh, well, yeah. You, we, <laughs> look, sometimes you got to, you got to fetch a little you bit gotta, in the business, you know. I mean, not everybody, with all due respect, not everyone's creative like you. Not everybody is a songwriter like you and not everybody is a legit organic musician like you. So, the organic part of me spoke to the organic part of you, and that's the synapse bridge we crossed. But this is not to say anybody who is listening to me that I cannot do wonderful things with your loops. I can. <laughs> send I, Amy loops. Send my loops. She'll send me go loops. in the booth. She'll no, just, she, she won't write you a pop song. She I promises. won't do it. If you just say, all you have to do is say, Amy, don't write a pop song. And I, <laughs> Exactly. And by the way, that, that's literally what the good people that I now have relationships with, where I don't write pop songs with them, say to me, don't write me a pop song. But in your case, it had to be. Had to be a pop song. Had to have the most banging hooks. Had to have everything and, and, and great lyrics and swagger and also that tongue-in-cheek insouciance. The double entendre of the lyric. And also, to be fair, a song about cocaine is a dangerous place because there's only really a few directions that most people go in. One is the pure fuck it, let's be hedonist and celebrate cocaine. And or the person who is beyond the problem and sees cocaine as some sort of demon they never wish came into their lives. Um... Or it's always, you know, a cautionary tale. It's always, you know, something like, don't do it, don't do it. I like that this song does, does none of that. I, I like that this is sort of a song that kind of pokes fun maybe at party culture, but it also fits into party culture. I feel like if Donald Fagan heard this song tomorrow, he would appreciate it. And by the way, Donald Fagan, if you're listening, um, first of all, I'm very, very sorry about Walter. We miss him dearly here on this planet. Um, I love you. You're my hero. And I've been listening to The Night Fly a lot lately. I'm, I'm going to tell you something that the first concert that I went to in my life, Steely Dan. Yes! <laughs> my dad, Steely Dan fan. Steely Dan was playing at a place that was at that point called Great Woods, which is in between Providence and Boston and Mansfield, Massachusetts. It's like an open air summertime concert place. Yeah, we went to see Steely Dan. And, and I like, I mean, at that point, I think I knew, uh, you know, the song that I knew was the um, yeah. Learn to Work the Saxophone. Deacon Blues. <laughs> Deacon Blues. And I play just one. Yeah, Deacon Blues. That was the one. And so, like, that's, and I, my that's life, because that's I was song. playing sax by that point. And, and we went to see Steely Dan. It was, it was amazing. I mean, I didn't, like, get it on, on the levels that, you know, I've since come to appreciate them on. And I'm not, like, a super fanboy, but. I think that one of the things that I bring to being a producer is like the kind of thing that those guys did where like we're a band, but we also have all these bag of tricks. Like we can get 
we can get Larry other Carlton. singers. Exactly, we can get Jeff other singers Carl. to like to like Bernard be Purdy. to be like the the highlight of our songs, and we can get these amazing musicians, and kind of we can do all types of different ty- things, you know. But then also weirdly with Steely Dan, there's um the sort of like meta version of them is like the hip hop thread that runs through their catalog of being sampled so many times. And like, just think about like Deja Vu, Lord Tariq and Peter Guns or De La Soul and, you know, other examples of people like We're sampling them. And so I, yeah, exactly. Uptown, baby. Do, do Uptown, the black cow. They, so like, it's sort of like a weird fusion of my hip hop background or like, that's sort of what I, how I started to produce music is by making hip hop kind of instrumental hip hop and my jazz background and somehow fusing that into my dance music background. So I don't know. I, I felt it coming from you. I, that, that was the thing. I felt it immediately. What I heard was somebody who was like a hybrid of Quincy Jones and a dust brother, somebody who could make Paul's boutique, somebody who could make the dude, you know, a nice hybrid there. Very good incredible organic sense, but also understanding the value of what modern hip hop production brought to it. But where you are different from everyone else that does, first of all, I don't hear a lot of people who really reach as as hard as you do. Um, I don't hear people putting quite the work you do, so I'm going to hype you there. But (laughs) you never let any one part of you steer harder than the other. Like the part of you that appreciates organic, funky songwriting, Things with soul, things with chops, and, you know, more organic drum beats even. I mean, like, everything about Party Line, even though, you know, there might have been a hand of hip-hop mastery in it, but that drum feels really live. It Its pocket feels like somebody's there. It's trying to feel like those, like, the Evelyn Champagne King records and the... Whispers and that know, all was, the stuff that's like that was the our, vocal delivery. My favorite stuff. I mean, I know that we talked about her as being sure being an influence, and that is obviously a dream come true. It's not that I I sound like Evelyn. I don't. I won't. I mean, please, Champagne King is a goddess. I mean, I don't sound like that, but I understand having heard enough of her music. Certain little things she likes to do, like you know, I think as a vocalist, the greatest vocalists ultimately, and I think any vocalist listening to me say this. We're all mimics. It's why that Jimmy Fallon game works, where he makes everybody imitate other singers. I mean, like, and Jamie Foxx, you know, goes on there and, like, destroys. Cause, but even, like, like uh, Christina Aguilera killed it and a couple of other um, people killed it. It's, it's because we're, we're mimics. There was also a little element of songs like Love Come Down in the production, too. You know, I mean, it was definitely up in there. Yeah, like a slinky moog bass line. Yeah, there, there's. Drums, I mean, you know, I, I think that I can only take take stuff that I am influenced by too. It's sort of like you take your favorite shit and then somehow filter it through you and hope that it comes out not sounding like an exact copy of the thing no, that you're it influenced could, by. It, it, it like couldn't that, because I mean, that's kind of like how I approach making all of my music. Not long ago, you and I were sitting with Michael right here in this house. And we were talking about retro superfuturism, which is a term I like to throw around a lot. It's sort of like, how do I make the past sound like the future? How do I make the future sound like the past? And I always tell people it's more crucial that the listener feel the familiarity than hear the familiarity. There is a distinction in something feeling retro as opposed to sounding retro. So I think you're in really great stead in your ability to balance um, 
I, I don't even like to say retro anymore. Organic ideas and modern, more futuristic, technological-based production ideas. For what it's worth, the entire scope of this album thus far, I think everybody, every one of, every singer on this, first of all, every singer, all singers, I know you're going to turn into everybody else's podcast, so you're going to turn into mine. And don't stunt like you're going to turn into only your own, because you're not. But I, all of the singers on this album, you are all star children. You are all fabulous. You all made this record great. The variety of voices, the variety of what everybody brought to your music, the commonality is that everybody got inside of your production. Everybody had something in that production speak to the writer and the singer that they are. I think so, too. I think you all nailed it. <laughs> all of the vocalists listening to this one. Um, the name of the album is Someday, and I was wondering what that word means to you. Oh, man. I really thought about that, too. To me, the word someday is the affirmation of eternal hope. It is the word we use so that we don't let our dreams die. To sound Langston Usian. Someday, it's what we use to not give up on our lives. It's a word that leaves avenue open to possibility. I think so long as someday exists, there is never a never, right? You know, we all are breaching out, especially now, with this tenuous world we're living in. Um, I don't need to go into a long diatribe about just how dire situations have reached, you know, nationally, globally, um, internationally. But someday allows for everybody to have a shot. The question is, what do you do with that word? I think the trick is to take someday and make it every day. Mm. And, 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 and jewels, you, jewels from Amy. She's just uh, dropping Amy Douglas. Oh, my dear. Make someday today. How about that? That's make a bump, someday that's today. A, that's like a bumper sticker. That's a Chinese, that's a fortune cookie. Well, sure. I mean, like, as somebody who got into dance music late, met all of, you know, integral pillars of this community of, I don't know, gypsies, tramps, and thieves that we all are late. Let me put it this way. So long as there is a someday, there can never be a too late. And then we're going to end it right there. But um, <laughs> All right. Amy, thank you so much for doing this. Thanks for making this song with me. And now we're going to listen to Party Line featuring Amy Douglas.
somebody's calling my name When I get there, it's over and gone Can I really trust my eyes with all these red lights on? Everybody, what? 